Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let The voice in the song would be recognizable anywhere. This last week, the world celebrated the 100th anniversary of the birth of Frank Sinatra. Best known for his crooning, he also recorded an album called Frank Sinatra Conducts Tone Poems of Color, where he worked with famous Hollywood arrangers to create music matched to works by poet Norman Sickle. This album is often linked in Sinatra's biography to the disintegration of his relationship with Ava Gardner. The album was released in 1956, three years after Sinatra's career was revived by his Oscar-winning appearance in From Here to Eternity. So before we get to today's podcast, here is a quick listen to one of the pieces from that album, White. and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Jacqueline Nicole Harris, a performance poet who began writing poetry in college. Following college, she concentrated for a while on short fiction, which was published with some success, and now her focus is back on performing her poetry at every opportunity. She'll be talking with us about her sources of inspiration and reading various examples of her work. We'll then be visited by Maria Maziotti Gillen, who will talk about her wonderful book, Writing Poetry to Save Your Life, a book filled with encouragement and sage advice useful to any writer. Jacqueline Nicole Harris. She is a performance poet in North Chicago. She's been performing all around the Chicagoland area and bringing her poetry to many different venues. And that's just what we're going to talk about, her poetry and her process. So, so Jackie, I want to start off by asking you, what does it mean to you to say you're a performance poet rather than just saying I'm a poet? I call myself a performance poet because I'm not a spoken word artist per se. Half of what I do is a little dramatic, a little acting. I believe I'm telling my own story, so to speak, or just versing my world from my point of view. I don't consider myself a spoken word artist because there's too many connotations that come with being a spoken word artist. And I explain that in my book, My Revolution. Tell us a little bit about well, how you define spoken word artist then. Spoken word artist is one part poet, one part activist, and uh, community organizer. Could be a teacher or a after school counselor. Um, a spoken word artist, and most of the ones that I've met, have, do a lot of things in their community. Me, I just write poetry and I love to perform and I love sharing my work and hearing the work of other people and having them share with me. Yeah, so spoken word artist has a has a political connotation to you. 
To okay. me, it does. I'm never quite sure. And I guess people use those terms in a lot of different ways. You mentioned the lineup of uh, performance poetry being a continuation of the oral tradition. And I'm wondering what you'd have to say about that. Well, the spoken language is older than the written language. Before we wrote our words down, before we, as human race, started to catalog our lives on paper or on papyrus or on stone, we had an oral tradition. This is an art form. This is a way that is older than time. And my perspective is you have to be honest, at least. At the very least, you have to be honest and true to yourself so you can be true to your own audience. Why don't we hear a poem? Maybe an example would really be enlightening. How's cool. That? All right. This is something I just wrote, and it's a little rough, but it's called Womanhood. And some of it may fall in the lines of cliche, but, you know, like I said, I just wrote it and I have to revise and cut and do all those wonderful things. But I'd be happy to share it with you and your audience today. So there is something about the way our skin falls over our flesh that makes us everything. Our hips, our lips, our breasts that thing in between our legs that in some spaces cannot be said in proper conversation. These are only spare parts of a larger whole. I am woman. I feel this in my bones. It is powerful. I am woman, misshapen, confused, barren, sad, often lonely. I still am woman. This is a man's world, yes, but I will not apologize for my intelligent vagrancy for speaking out of turn or just for speaking. This is a man's world, yes, but I will never allow my physical beauty to be measured by your libido. This is a man's world, yes, but my funny shape, my way uncouth, my heart a thunderous drum, and my breath a hurricane, yes, this is a man's world. But I still am woman. Uh And that's it, pig. How did, how did that come to you? How did that poem get started? I say that because it's not a specific incident that happened to you. It's sort of a, a concept, an idea that you wanted to express. Um, there was another poet online who was spinning a poem dedicated to a rape victim in India. And I began to think about... Um, womanhood in all of its facets in different areas around the world from Muslim women who have to wear burqas and it's against the law for them to go to school or to drive and women like Sojourner Truth in the past and women in modern times who are often either vilified or exalted for things they do or say like maybe an Ann Coulter who's very pretty but her words can cut like a knife and women who are just never heard, they fall by the wayside because they don't look the standard of media beauty or marketed beauty. And I wanted to touch on that. And my thought process tends to go all over the place when I'm creating something. So I do have to cut and make clear what I'm trying to say, you know, revise just Mm -hmm. a little bit. And that's part of the writing process anyway. You take down, the, you write a lot of whatever thoughts come to mind and then later go back and 
pull it together or find the focus, something like that? I try to do that. I try to do that. And it, it helps to have a group to go to where we just sit down and just share each other's work and we're honest with each other when we critique. So I go to the Deerfield Public Library in Deerfield, Illinois. We are the Deerfield Library Poets and we meet every Tuesday. We're just an eclectic group of word rebels. Some of us have been published many times in different genres and aspects of poetry and some of us just like to write. Everything from a limerick to a villanelle to a sestina or a free verse and, of course, spoken word like I do. It's one of the great things about libraries, the way it can bring, you know, such a group together. Definitely. Really, you know, sometimes in your in your poetry, I uh, the attitude of it maybe, uh, I don't know what it is exactly, something in it reminds me of the blues. Maybe it's because you have a few poems about guys doing you wrong. And that's, <laughs> yes, of course. We all know that's a big theme in the blues. She done me wrong. He done me wrong. But uh, uh, you got something to say about that? Or you want to read one of, one of those poems? Talk about it a little bit? I have been oh, done oh, completely wrong a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot to, I have a lot to write about and reach on. But uh, one of my first standard poems was a poem called This Is Not a Love Poem. And it was dedicated to a guy that, well, it was dedicated to my first real adult relationship, love, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I call it a lie now because he was doing other things and he had a baby behind my back. A baby that I met five years into the relationship. And she was five years old when I saw her. I didn't know he had kids. I, Whoa. That qualifies as done you wrong for sure. Would you like to hear the poem? That'd be great. Yes. Okay. I don't like doing it anymore, but it's oh. it's a standard around here in Lake County for me to do it. So this is not a love poem. I am not about to do another sad bastard love poem or another sappy sonnet about the no good liar who was my ex poem, though I won't say his name in this poem or write a fat bastard will suffice even if he is now skinny poem still to him. I must say a thank you poem. A when you left me behind, you left me wiser, richer, and able to follow my own dreams poem. A God has not punished me by getting me pregnant with your seed poem. So no, this is not another sad bastard love poem. Another sappy sonnet to the low good liar who was my ex poem. Another I thought you were going to be true poem. Aja, you just used me to screw poem. This is a thank you poem. And I am getting the hell on with my life poem. With myself together and my weave tight poem. And I need not say your name because you know who you are, Thomas. Yes. Well, yeah, I imagine that goes over very well with audiences. It says it's a strong poem and you present it dramatically. Thank you. Yeah. With the blues thing, I want to mention that while we're on this a little bit, because because you you mentioned you like Bobby Blue Bland, who maybe a lot of people don't know. Do you think the blues influences you? I'm not saying it does. I'm just curious. A lot of music does influence me. I grew uh, up listening to gospel and blues because my parents would play it around the house, especially on the weekends. And my mother, she's responsible for introducing me to um, people like B.B. King and Bobby Blue Band and Johnny Taylor, 
Coco Taylor, all those blues greats. And that was a song, I believe you're referencing the poem, The Blues Falls Like Rain for me. Yeah. The If you're going to walk all over my loved woman, the least you could do is take off your shoes. That was a song she would play a lot. That whole album she would play a lot. And that particular line got ingrained in my head. And it was a pleasure to be able to work it into a poem. Of course, I gave him, I give him credit whenever I can. But yeah, yeah I, I agree. It's, it's always really uh, interesting to slip in something that you know about that you think is wonderful, and you hope people catch it from the poetry reading. And maybe they learn about the artist or or the song or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Speaking of love, uh, you you mentioned in some notes you sent me that uh, you had an experience at one venue where you were reading a. Uh, you called it a serious and sentimental love poem. And some guy in the audience either either didn't get it or intentionally just wanted to cause some, you know, grief and was laughing uh, in, inappropriately, I would think, from the tone of the poem. That particular experience was the DJ behind me. Mm. And I was doing an introduction to the poem, talking about myself and talking about what inspires me to write and why if anyone should because it was in front of an audience full of young people why if anyone should feel downtrodden or low or feel like getting violent they should pick up a pen and put it down purse and get their thoughts and their words in perspective at least that's what i was trying to say but it came out really funny to him and i still see this guy around town from time to time but i i that really, that experience really just got under my skin and I had to leave. I really couldn't stand to be in the same spot with them. Are, are, there, are there any of like particularly really great venues that you really like around the Chicago area? I'm curious about that too. I love the Green Mill. I've been to the Funky Buddha Lounge. That's closed now, but I did love the Funky Buddha Lounge. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. What was that place? Heartland. Mm -hmm. The Heartland Cafe. Oh, wow. There's so many different areas in Chicago that I either I've been to a couple of times or I haven't been to. And all of them I want to get to and just experience and share. Yeah. Anybody who's listening and doesn't know, the Green Mill happens every Sunday night from 7 to 10. There's an open mic, a slam, and a featured poet. A really great venue hosted by Mark Smith. True that, and I've bombed at the Green Mill. I've bombed in front of the best, <laughs> but I for totally forgot my poem on the green at the Green Mill. I, and after that, everybody read after me, and I thought I wasn't supposed to read at the Green Mill. I thought I was supposed to recite and be strong for some reason. And I came but, all that way just to bomb. But but I get the impression that doesn't stop you. You keep going when that something like that happens. You you go back. And uh, do it again. True. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, True. That's I haven't sweet. been back since then, but yeah, I want to go back. I don't know. It's in my blood, I guess. It sounds like it. And yes. uh, I'll add another another question. Uh, from some of the things you've said about about performing, I'm wondering: Do you think that being, or let's say, becoming a performance poet, has changed you as a person, or changed you somehow? It's definitely thickened my skin. It's made me tougher. It's made me braver. It's 
being on behind a microphone is almost feels like a second home for a few seconds. I'm just able to kick off my shoes and be me unapologetically. And that's a good thing, I think, for some anyone to experience, you know. It's like once you're up there, all you can do is say, well, this is me, folks. Mm-hmm. And you take exactly. You How about um, pick another poem and let us hear one? I guess this poem is kind of funny. Uh, actually, I won't do a funny poem. Okay. I'll write. I I don't always write political poems and stuff, but when I do, it's usually from the heart, and it's usually about something that touches on every aspect of my life, whether I like it or not. When I was up writing this poem, I was looking for some kind of inspiration. I wasn't finding it online. I wasn't finding it in any of the usual books I pick up to read around me. And I picked up this book of quotes. And the quote was from a woman named Elizabeth Keckley, who lived in from 1818 to 1907. The bright, joyous dreams of freedom to the slave faded were sadly altered in the presence of that stern practical mother reality. So this poem is called In the Presence of That Stern Practical Mother Reality. And it begins. This reality is cold. Even on the hottest of days, she chills. Kicking our asses to life, whispering inspirations into our ears, clouding our minds with audacious hope. Reality. In her, we are already finished. Right now, we have already begun. History, the things we know now and know not of, shaping the bitterness of the, our relative lives. As we relive tragedies and multiples of threes and swallow the sour milk from her breast, American reality, it's like after birthing us, she left us in her filth and told us to go and play in the street. What do I really know of Africa? that hasn't been force-fed to me. So far removed am I from that reality. A lost child who sees her reflection in rivers and throws rocks in the waters to break up the vision. What do I really know? America is a wilderness that grows foreign to me. Every day I see hopes and dreams of slave melting in hot flashes of gunfire, fading in pools of blood. I wish I could dream my way out of this. But that isn't practical. That isn't realistic. In the presence of that cold, stern, practical reality, nothing I am is legit. Nothing I am or will be will force the hand of mother reality. America is still afraid of the dark. And that's it, please. Hey, that's a great final line. And nothing about me is legit. That's also, it just really says it right there. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of things that inspired that. I know we have a lot going on in this country right now as far as um, police brutality, whether you're on the side of Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter, everybody's lives are being touched by the state of race relations in the United States of America right now. We could point to one or another thing, but it's no, no one person's fault, I don't think. I was just thinking of that today because, you know, more incidents happen just every other day, it seems, and you just 
I'll turn on your computer and there it is. That's true. I don't I I don't experience everything. I will I live a relatively self-sheltered life. I don't experience everything. Every heartache or every hardship, but when it does happen and I'm able to see it, it it changes me a little bit. It makes me harder to life a little bit and makes me question everything I thought I knew. Mhm. Mm about yeah. my purpose and my place, you know. Yeah, you're a very philosophical person. Comes out I try. Comes out <laughs> in your poetry. Yeah. Well, you want to do one more before we wrap it up? I'd, I'd be nice to hear another poem. Um, what would you like to hear? I usually do this at open mics. Something funny or something well, serious? I don't know. You did a serious one the other evening when we actually read together. And uh, about uh, to your to an unborn daughter. I don't know if Second you want to Unborn daughter. Yeah. Up to you. Oh, you like? It? I'll do that one. It's just a really strong poem. Thank you. A second letter to my unborn daughter. I am writing this poem because I know that one day I may never meet you. I am not blaming God, though he may reach into the part of heaven where disembodied children float and never choose to touch my womb with one. I'm glad he at least gave me this chance to say this. Little girl whom I may never meet, the sum of my life may never amount to more than wishes and dreams, but still, I always wanted you. The biggest mortal terror. I will ever experience after the pain of birth is not raising you the right way. And God knows if it comes down to it and I have you, I'll try. I'll try to be the best at whatever thing I am that shapes your dreams. I'll be your safety, your first teacher. I will discipline you with love, keep you firmly held in my grasp, only letting go little by little as age and time allow it to be so. I am not blaming God but I have never been in true love and I grow older each morning I rise. Little girl, I may never meet you, hold you, scold you, name you, blame you, dress you, or bathe you. I may never say sweet dreams to you while I tuck you in at night. I won't get to watch you grow up or cry tears of joy at your every accomplishment, but I do love you, or at least the idea of you. And I am ending this now because I may never know. You're listening to Jacqueline Nicole Harris on Poetry Spoken Here. Thanks a lot, Jackie. This has been really good. Thank you so much, Charlie, for this opportunity, and good luck in everything you do, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks. Somebody once told me it was an odd combination of arrogance and lack of self-confidence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm joined now by Maria Maziati Yellen. She's the author of 20 books, mostly poetry, and uh, but one of them is about how to write poetry. And the title of that book is Writing Poetry to Save Your Life. And the first thing I want to ask you, Maria, is what was your intention or your thinking behind that title, writing poetry to save your life? 
for me, poetry saved my life. It saved my life because I was very shy, inarticulated, inarticulated, unable to express myself at all. So through writing poetry, I was able to to find a way to tell the story of my experiences, my feelings, my my life, my family. Uh, it was important to me to be able to do that because I was too shy to be able to do it one-on-one um, -on -one with people. So it saved my life in that way. It saved my life in that as my poetry was published and as I started to get recognition for my poetry, it gave me self-confidence, which I didn't have as a child of immigrants, as a kid who didn't speak English when I went to school, as a child from a poor family. I had very little feelings of uh, that, that I had a right to exist in the world and that I had something to say that people would be interested in. And so it took me a while to get to the point where I got the confidence and I got it through poetry. I remember when my first book came out, a graduate school professor said to me, it's in this poem about your father that you find the story you have to tell. And he actually gave me the courage to say, well, maybe I can write about being an Italian-American who didn't speak English, a wife, a mother, uh, a daughter, a granddaughter. Maybe I can write about what that's like to grow up on 17th Street in Patterson, New Jersey, what all those things are like. I, like and you, my, my books are almost a memoir. If you look at all of the books together, it's as though it's a memoir of my life. When I went up to Binghamton yeah. to teach, you can see me driving up Route 17 West and the changing of the seasons and all of that. It's, it's been just a blessing for me. Um, so, but I think in another way, it also saves your life because it saves details. You can't really stay around yeah. for 500 years, but you can leave behind a detailed record of your life. And that's what poetry does. So it saves your life in that way. Better than a photograph, really. Because the photograph can't give you the details that a poem can give you. So Absolutely. there's a kind of emotional yeah. resonance in poems that I think helps to save your life. Wow, you're absolutely right. I, yeah, and, and the subtitle of the book is How to Find the Courage to Tell Your Stories. How about that? Right, because this poem, this book of, of uh, on writing is not a book that teaches you how to write a sonnet or a villanelle um, or how to write language poetry. It's a book that tries to give you the courage to feel that what you have to write about, what how you see the world through your eyes is important. It teaches you to listen to the people around you, to try to hear their stories, to try to recreate their stories in your writing, to try to believe that what you have to write about is important, that people really want to know about it. Because what we're writing about is what it means to be human. And writing can form a bridge between you and the rest of the world. So the book is intended to give courage and encouragement. And people have written to me from all over the country saying, you know, your book made me brave. I've had people come up to me and holding the book and saying, 
I, I got this book and I haven't put it down because it really makes me feel that I do have something to say and that I can do it. I want people to think of me as standing there and saying, you can do it, you can do it. Uh, I don't really care whether they write villanelles or not. That's really right. not where I'm coming from. I want them to feel that what they write about is important, just as important as uh, somebody writing a very academic poem about Einstein. Beautiful. In talking about this, getting the courage to tell your story, uh, early on in the book, you you mentioned something about a cave guarded by a crow. Oh, yeah. I have to say that on the cover of the book, you can see there's a crow sitting on a figure's shoulder. I think women and men both have that crow. And the crow has in its mouth the voice of every person who's ever said something negative to us. Um, you're too short, or you're too fat, or you're too tall, or you're not smart enough, or who would want to listen to you? Uh, teachers who put you in the blue bird row instead of the red bird row in math. All of those voices are caught in the crow's beak. If you listen to that voice, the crow's voice, you won't be able to do anything. I don't care whether it's be a lawyer or be a doctor or be a poet or a memoirist or a fiction writer. It doesn't matter. The crow will stop you. So I see writing as a way of knocking the crow off your shoulder and then moving down to a place inside you I call the cave. It's the deepest part of you and it has in it all the negative things that have ever happened to you and all the positive things that have ever happened to you. It's dark, it can be very scary, but you have to knock the crow off your shoulder. You have to be willing to go to that deep place inside yourself and you have to be willing to enter the cave where you are encouraged to tell the truth and not hide behind the scrim of beautiful language or uh, references to Greek gods. But just tell the truth about that interior life and those experiences from your past and your memory. Well, yeah. let me just add this one thing. Yeah. I think there's a wise old woman and wise old man who lives in your belly. And that figure is the figure you should be listening to. When you're writing, the intellect has to be second to the wise old woman or wise old man because that instinctive part of yourself will lead you to where you have to go in your writing and in your life as well. Don't ignore that instinct. Anytime I've ignored the instinct, it's been to my own detriment. And, and anytime a, a person who is attempting to do this feels like they just uh, don't know where to start, I want to mention that this book has an amazing over 100 pages of prompts, which is a, just a tremendous resource that you put together well, you there go in the back bag. to them. What I tried to do is have, have you able to go back to them anytime and just put your finger on one and start writing about it and see what happens. And um, one of my students said, this book is like carrying Maria in my pocket. And she wanted to me to ask the publisher to make a little tiny pocket size one so she could put it in her jeans pocket. I, I thought it was like Maria in her pocket. I already said you're just about short enough now to be carried by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we've been talking with Maria Maziati Gillen about her wonderful book, Writing Poetry to Save Your Life How to Find the Courage to Tell Your Stories. Many people have found it helpful, and I have too. 
fact. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Thanks for being here, Maria. Thank you, Charlie. It was a pleasure speaking with you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.